Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. Hey, Kate. Yes. I got you a present. I love presents. I know. I like. I didn't actually get it for you, but it came to me in the mail, and I thought, Kate might like this. So occasionally... So you're re-gifting Yes, gift. I am re-gifting. <laughs> it's not even a gift, though. Can you re-gift something that was never a gift in the first place? It was just swag? You're re-swagging. I'm re-swagging. <laughs> I got a little swagger in my step because I'm re-swagging. So many times when, when a company is trying to promote a book, they will include some sort of crazy swag with the book if they think it's like something people should really pay attention to. And usually this is sent to booksellers, but occasionally it's sent to librarians as well. And usually it's something small, like a keychain or nail clippers, or it was a guitar pick once. Um, today's was a little different. So let me let me pull this out of the bag here. Look what I got. Boom! Oh, a candle. It's a candle. Smell the candle. Oh, it says, uh, let your love story glow oh does it glow in the dark oh no, no but it does come with matches Ooh, which, which they, they sent light a spark yes and it was for this ya book uh blackout subtitle even love stories can glow when the lights go oh i think that's supposed to rhyme even love stories can glow when the lights go i don't approve of that uh, <laughs> thing but it looks like a lot of different authors wrote in it uh Anyway, yeah, I don't know if you bad. want the book, but I thought you might like the candle. Yeah, sure. All Thanks. right, cool. So, yes, folks, that's Blackout. It has people like uh, Donnell Clayton, Tiffany Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon. Uh, apparently, it's coming out this June. So, yeah, there you go. Cool. And uh, in the meantime, who are you? I'm Kate, the one that gets free stuff. Yeah, I'm Betsy, the one who got the free stuff first. <laughs> And this is Fuse 8 and Kate, the podcast where we look at picture books and we determine whether or not they should be classics or not. Mm-hmm. So for, well, let's see, you had challenged me to find a wedding book. Yeah. And at first I thought I knew which book I was going to do. And then I thought to myself, no, 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 this is a, this is a keen example. We have not had a cult classic in a while. And there is a wedding cult classic picture book that is fantastic. However, my library waited it last year because apparently I didn't move fast enough in trying to check this book out. So I have interlibrary loaned it. It is on its way, but we are not going to do that this week. This okay. week, we're honoring someone who died recently. So I'm going to pull well, <laughs> out that book. Black is brown is tan. By I don't know if you could. It's actually really hard to read. Adolf. Yes, illustrated by Emily Arnold Macaulay. Very good. So Arnold Adolf died recently. Um, he was married to Virginia Hamilton, who is a very famous author. Uh, she was black. He was white. This book was originally published in 1973. 
it is impossible. Well, not impossible. I'm sure I could have interlibrary loaned it again, but I couldn't find the original anymore. It, no library in my consortium had it anymore. What they had was this more updated version with more updated art. So we are going to be considering the updated version of Black is Brown is Tan with the updated art. Okay. Okay. Read that thing. All right. While Kate does her read, let's get a little more information on Mr. Arnold Adolph, a man that I knew shockingly little about uh, prior to his death this year. So sorry about that, Arnold. I did not know that he was married to Virginia Hamilton, and boy, oh boy, is that story interesting. So I'm going to tell it to you right now. So Arnold Adolph, he he grows up, his, his parents had immigrated from Russia, uh, they want him to become a, a pharmacist. So he, he goes to college to become a pharmacist, doesn't like it, he runs away to Chicago and says, I'm not going to be a pharmacist. Well, his parents uh, tell him, look, just go to school doing whatever you want. We don't care. We just don't want you like living by yourself in Chicago. So he comes back and uh, he goes to school and, uh, you know, he's trying to figure out what he wants. And, and he goes to graduate school at Columbia. And then he uh, decides he wants to become a writer. He, he was doing some history studies, but then, you know, he, he wants to be a writer. Um, and so he, he substitute teaches uh, while he's writing poetry. He's going to jazz clubs at night. And then somewhere, and here's where the obit gets a little vague on this one, somehow he becomes Mingus's manager. Sure, because that just happens. All right, so he's, he's Mingus's manager. Now, Mingus introduces him to a nightclub singer named, I kid you not, Virginia Hamilton. Virginia Hamilton was a nightclub singer. She was also a writer. Uh, they get married in 1960. They have two kids. And then Hamilton goes off and wins freaking every single award you can win. She gets a Newberry Medal and a MacArthur Fellowship and this and that and the other. Of course, Virginia Hamilton is black. Arnold Adolph is white. And as a result, one of the books that he writes in the course of many, many, many books that he writes in his life is Black is Brown is Tan. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Hello. Hello. You're back. Mm-hmm. With the book. Mm-hmm. That you read. Mm-hmm. Called Black is Brown is Tan. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, that's the name of it, right? Black is Brown is Tan. Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Good, good. We're, both, we're both clear on that. Yeah. So, yes. So, so uh, yeah, so originally written in 1973, updated, and I'm going to say 2002. You're looking at the 2202 version. Oh. Oh, okay. really? Does this, solve, does this solve some mysteries for you? Yeah. Like, yeah. it didn't feel 73 to you? <laughs> no. 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 And I'll I'll get to it in a second. But, okay. um, so this is all done in watercolor. Yep. I'm not usually a fan of watercolor, but no, I can appreciate aren't. the shadows that are like going across the bed, like in the very beginning of the story, because that's that's not easy to do with that's watercolor. Some fine shadow work. Yeah, without making there, yeah. it look like muddy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, all right. Fair play to you, Emily Arnold McCauley. <laughs> you can make a shadow. So there's no story. There's no plot. Is there no plot? Like, is there no plot in the text, and then they made a plot in the art, or is there just no plot anywhere? No plot anywhere. Okay, so because, no plot as far as the eye can see. Because it's a poem. 
Right. Which I didn't really understand until the end because halfway through, I was like, this is reading like a poem. Um, (laughs) Someone should tell the author. Like the, the beginning is black is brown is tan is girl is boy is nose is face is all the colors of the race you're doing you're doing your uh, beatnik. my beatnik yeah you're doing your beatnik is thing. dark is light singing songs in singing night <laughs> it's good though right it's good it's not bad actually it kind of works and it and it rhymes who knew yeah, they, there's a illustration there of uh, like the family is all singing, but the dad, I don't know what he's singing. It's like an aria. <laughs> he may not be singing the same thing the rest of the family is singing. Like they're singing "Row, row, row your boat," and he's going like "Oh, that's what it looks like." And then you get the poor dog underneath the table who's not thrilled. I don't want any part of this. Says dog. Nope, nope. So first, we're kind of introduced to the mom. Okay. Uh, and she does things like brushing their hair. She cuts wood for the fire. Good for her, man. She wields an axe or a hatchet because it's kind of small. Yeah, it's a hatchet. You're right. That's not an axe. But I was impressed by this. I was like, all right, thanks, mom. I'll tell you this much. I love my kids. I do not split wood for them. Really? No. Which never happened. She also cooks the corn and chicken legs. I do not cook, uh either of those things so yeah (laughs) nope no corn no chicken legs none so her kids compare her to the chocolate in their milk uh and she says assuming it's her because it it says i am black i am brown the milk is chocolate brown i am the color of the milk chocolate cheeks and hands that darken in the summer sun i was like this is the part where i was like oh this is a poem oh it's a poem this is this is definitely a poem This is the page where I'm start starting to actually like the book. Up until uh-huh. now, I'm just kind of like, meh. You're just coming along with right, it. Right. Yeah. But this page, especially with that text, I'm like, oh, I'm hooked. I like the shot of the house. The also, sh- how big is that house? The that house, house is huge. The tree. The, the tree is cool. The Just the, the words on this page, I, I dig it. The I, sky is sort of that hazy day color where it doesn't really have a color. But you know what I absolutely hate? What's that? The fiery passion. Oh, tell me. What? The font. Oh, I agree with you. It's awful. I also, I I read an objection uh, from someone like from a blog from just last year saying they didn't like the spacing. Like there's weird spacing going on between the letters and even between the sentences. And it's it's the spacing I can get over. It's the font that drives me nuts. It's not Comic Sans, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, Yeah. But then we get to a page where like, you know, she says that she her face gets ginger red when she yells at them to get into bed. Just take note of in in their bedroom. There's a toy box, yeah. right? In front of the toy Massive box, toy box, there is a shoe. Yeah. Just hold on to that. Oh, don't worry. I am well and truly familiar with single children's shoes showing up where single children's shoes should not be. I don't think this is a child's shoe. What? I have a theory. Is someone buried in that toy box? No. <laughs> <laughs> so then we meet the dad. And this is the page where I was like, huh, for 1973, that looks like a pretty modern computer. Yeah, no, no, no. So that's why I was yeah. very confused. You're correct. This is 2002. Yeah. 
Okay. But the text, which apparently has not had any words changed, is 1973. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so he's saying, you know, I'm I'm dad. So now we're now it's in his narrative. Mm-hmm. And he says, I am white. The milk is white. I am not the color of the milk. I am white. The snow is white. I am not the color of the snow. That's so fair point. He's not. It's interesting, though, because the mom was saying, you know, she's the cho- the color of chocolate milk. And he's saying, I'm not the color of this. And I'm not the color of this. Mm-hmm. What he does say, though, is that he has brown eyes and big yellow ears. In which I'm like, does he have jaundice? <laughs> And is it only located in his ears? <laughs> I'm very confused why That's he has... That's a terrible place to have jaundice. Big yellow ears. Big yellow ears. Mm-hmm. So here we get to the page where he says that his face gets tomato red when he yells at them to get into bed. Right? Right. Now, what does the dog behind him have in his mouth? Is that the shoe? I, or looks, one of the shoes? It's a slipper. So my theory is that every time the kids go to bed, the dog takes a shoe or a slipper or something and brings it into the child, the children's room. That is entirely possible. That's my theory. Yes. All right. As a working theory. Because, yeah. Because the dog is already in the room. Yeah. At, at the point where you first see the shoe. Right. Yeah. And that's definitely a shoe. And that's definitely a slipper. Yeah. So that's my theory. The dog's a little kleptomaniac. <laughs> so then at this point, um, each of mom and dad's extended family come over so we have um dad's sister who has blonde hair and we have mom's brother uh who's tan and then we have granny white and grandma black um and they're both there and then everyone gets together in the backyard for just a giant hangout and they're all singing songs in the backyard um and then that's that's it. It it ends with them singing and uh, black is brown is tan. But at the end of the story, there's an afterword. Interesting. Tell me more. This is where it does specifically say that it's a poem because it says generations of young readers and the ones that preceded them have loved this poem. Ah. However, it also says... The new version of Black is Brown is Tan is an enduring song to them. So I could see this being, and because it says, we invite readers of all ages to stay strong and sing along. So is there a song that's supposed to go along with this book? Uh, To be fair, I did not look that up. So tell you what, in the show notes, I will look that up. And if I have found any YouTube videos of people singing it, I'm going to be very fascinated because I don't know how you would sing this, but I'm sure you could. I will put that in the show notes and people can see what the song would because sound like. Because they keep like. talking about singing throughout yeah, the book, so it they would do. make sense that this And it could does be a... rhyme. Yeah. So it would make a certain amount of sense. Yeah. I'm going to show you the original cover done by the same illustrator. Now please bear in mind when you look at this, this is the same illustrator, but it looks very different. Okay, oh, first of that all that is 70s. Yeah. Now what do you see that's different? <laughs> Well, the dad is ghostly white with uh-huh. a beard, and he's got the baby on his back. Well, he's dark haired too, right? The blondness is gone. Right. He's got dark brown hair with a dark brown beard. Right. So I believe, from what I, from what my research indicates, that these are drawings of the actual author and his wife. So that is Arnold Adolf in this original cover, 
And that is Virginia Hamilton, his wife, in this original cover. And those are their actual children. Um, When Emily Arnold McCullough was, I presume, asked to update it because, you know, you can only get so far with this cover, uh, she, I guess, just made the decision to completely change the family altogether and not make it um, the Adolph Hamilton family. I, I kind of like the way that I prefer the, the updated version. I think mm-hmm. it's more, I think it makes more of an impact having a blonde haired white guy, you know, it, it versus, you know, the, the dark brown hair with the dark brown beard. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's more also of a contrast. The, well, I like the watercolors better. There's more color. There's more, it's saturated. I don't think the layout of the text is good. Um, Look at that cover and look at the author and illustrator's name. They are disappearing into the dark green background. Mm-hmm. That is just poorly done. At the very least, they should have made those words white. And then you could have read them quite clearly. And then throughout the book, I guess because they're trying to space out the words in such a way to fit with the new art. I don't the, know. The spacing is it's, terrible. I don't know. You do this in poetry sometimes. That's a good point point actually you might be able to get away with it if you say it's poetic all right all right designer of this book from 2002 i'm giving you a pass this time i'm not don't gi- try it again oh, i'm not giving you a pass on that font though no the font's a terrible idea i don't even <laughs> know what that here give me that book let's find out what this font is okay they don't want to tell us what the font is but they did did uh tell us who to blame typography by matt adamek so Matt Adamek, we have a bone to pick with you. Uh, <laughs> feel free to write in and tell us why we're wrong. Okay. Um, so this book is famous for one very big reason. It is widely considered to be the very first, at least from a major American publisher, the first American book about an interracial family, a first picture book in some ways. Um, shortly before this time, marriage... Uh, was a violation that was interracial was a violation in 28 states in America. This book comes out in 1973. It was only six years after the, the case of loving versus Virginia ruling. Um, so it, it was very timely, uh, when it first came out, it's interesting to note, you know, Emily Arnold McCulley did the art, uh, you know, Virginia Hamilton dies and, and, and Arnold Adolph recently died. Emily Arnold McCulley apparently is going strong. She's got uh, two books out this year, Kate's Light, Kate Walker at Robin's Reef Lighthouse, and 123 Pole. Next year, she's got Taking Off Airborne with Mary Wilkins Ellis. The woman is 81 years old, and she is making really gorgeous picture books even to this day. Uh, Apparently lives in Galesburg, Illinois, so that's cool. Hmm. And yeah, so she basically re-illustrated her own book 30 years later, and then like 20 years after that, still going just fine. Like, boom, 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 boom. That's awesome. You can't stop her. Kirk has said of the book when it, uh, well, when this reprint came out, it it said some interesting things. Um, I'm going to quote him right now. It said, uh, and just as Adolf has reshaped the lines without changing the words... So Macaulay has plainly worked from her originals in placing and posing her figures, though the pictures are redone in a larger size. The family lives in a different house with modern details, and the father is now blonde. As the number of interracial families goes up, but their representation in picture books remains vanishingly slight, this fresh rendition still makes a cogent statement. 
which unfortunately I think is even true to this day Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Ratings time! So I do love a story about diversity, Mm -hmm. Um, especially since, as you said, it came out 13 years after they were married when it was... Uh, when their marriage said it violated segregation laws in 28 states. Uh, If I could change one thing, obviously it'd be the font. Um, There's not much of a plot, but it's a poem, so there doesn't have to be one. Uh, I'm not going to remember what this book is about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is no plot. Other than it's a multiracial family. So is it a 10? No. Uh, But I would want this to be a classic, so... Kids can see that families can look in different ways, so I gave it a seven. Yep, uh, it's done well. We get a lot of purposeful picture books out, especially right now. Uh, books that are trying to send some sort of message in some way. They're very difficult books to do well. A lot of the time, it feels like someone has the message and is beating you over the head with it. They can be very broad. They can be very obvious. This book isn't. I think this book... I think the poem helps. Giving that that little bit of artistic license, that little bit of like trying to be more than just the sum of what it's about. It sort of goes above and beyond the call of duty that way. Uh, I think that sort of lifts it out of the the wide swath of, you know, meaningful, heartfelt, but not particularly original books that are out there. This does feel original even to this day. I completely agree with you about the font. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking, um, especially on the cover, which I'm, I'm taking like, the more I look at it, the angrier I get. <laughs> I'm like, look at that. Look at that. I am not stop even a designer. At, stop looking at it, Betsy. I'm not even a designer. Look I'm away. getting mad. All right, away. all right. You know what? I'm looking at the back of the book now. Much better. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm also giving it a seven. Perfect. Yay. Cool, so it's a classic. It's a classic. Yay. Awesome. Oh, letters time. I'm going to be yelled at. (laughs) Somebody's taking me to task, and rightfully so. On? A statement I made about brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? This letter is coming to you from Emily. Hello, Emily. Thank you for putting my sister in her place. Hi, Betsy and Kate. (laughs) She says back to you, I'll presume. (laughs) Thank you for reading my comments about the Arthur Snows episode. I was honored and gratified to be included. More importantly, thank you for continuing to delight with your picture book podcasts. I just finished hearing episode 174 featuring Brown Bear, Brown Bear. Betsy, I found your assertion at 6.40 running time that the Brown Bear lyrics can be sung to the tune of the Yellow Rose of Texas intriguing but ultimately a head-scratcher. After several failed attempts to fit the two together to any degree of satisfaction, I am ready to throw in the towel. The best I can do involves playing fast and loose with the lyrics, such as the following. Oh, brown bear, brown bear, brown bear, please tell us what you see. Oh, sir, I see a red bird, he's looking straight at me. Oh, red bird, red bird, red bird, please tell us what you see. Yes, ma'am, I see a yellow duck. He lives in Tennessee. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, Tennessee has sneakily crept back in from the Yellow Rose's own lyrics. 
And I have just mainly added gender-specific pronouns at odds with Bill Martin's gender-neutral text. Such pronoun presumption may be tolerable to Redbird, who displays the secondary sex characteristics of a male Eastern cardinal, but... With the others, it's unwise to assign pronouns before we have been properly introduced. <laughs> I definitely wish to avoid the pronoun it. Um, animals, they may be, but what, when one can converse with them, it ceases to suffice. I seem to have run off track. The only reason I inserted these problematic, presumptive, presumptuous pronouns in the first place is because the yellow rose tune is ill-suited for the brown bear lyric she has many more things to say on this topic um she does say at the bottom um have you indeed successfully put brown bear and the yellow rose of texas together if so would you consider uh singing a demo stanza or two to show how it's done i mean the first part sounded good that's because she changed the lyrics um and uh she's completely correct i did say you could sing it i was wrong I was thinking of Emily Dickinson, where you can take her poems and set them, you know, like, because I did not stop for death, these kindly stop for me. You know, you can do Emily Dickinson to Yellow Rose of Texas very easily. You, you can't actually do. Maybe you could do Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. Nope, I've lost it already. <laughs> it's impossible. Just let it go, Betsy. Just let the song go. I'm just desperately now I'm like, no, there's got to be a way because there's got the word tree and that also rhymes like in Tennessee. Okay. All right. Fine. Okay. Emily, you called me out and you had every right to do so. (laughs) It can't be done except if you change the lyrics as you have done. So hat tip to you and apologies to my listeners. I lied to you. You cannot in fact sing Brown Bear, Brown Bear. What do you see? To Yellow Rose of Texas. Okay. But maybe Gilligan's Island. <laughs> okay. All okay. Right. Grown-up things we like. You go first. Ooh, so I have mentioned in the past before that there is a podcast I like. It's the Ologies podcast, mm-hmm. where the host speaks to different uh, scientists or people in different fields, different ologies, if you will. And the most recent one uh, is of... Alexis Nicole Nelson, who is uh, probably best known on TikTok and Instagram, and I think she might be on YouTube a bit, uh, as Black Forager. Because uh, she is black. I and know she her. For- you know her. Yeah. Yes. I like her lots. Yeah. I am suddenly a big fan of her. Um, and I listen, and I'm still listening to that podcast episode, uh, and it's all about foraging, and it's delicious listening. Uh, you can find out what invasive plants you can eat. It's a good way to get rid of invasive plants. Eat them. <laughs> um, all sorts of inter- how to start out if you're a forager. And I was very pleased to see uh, that on her a recent Instagram post, she finds, uh, well, very tiny baby morels. And of course, morels are my favorite thing in the entire world to forage. This has been a crummy, horrible morel year uh we didn't it got too cold here the ground wasn't warm enough and then we've gotten no rain uh so i don't think i'm gonna get any morels this year but in lieu of that i am enjoying this podcast episode right on yay well have you ever heard of mario the magician no tell me more so he is a new york-based performer um and he has, and he would travels with this show. Well, he used to travel, but because of the pandemic, he had to stop. But I think he's starting back up again. It's full of 
um, magic, DIY, robotics, and he's appeared on Sesame Street and HGTV, and he was live on tour with David Blaine. You know who David Blaine is? I know David Blaine. Who called him the best kids magician in the world. World. Yeah. So go to Instagram, check out Mario the Magician, and you will see um, Automobot, which is this cardboard robot magician. It looks very cheap and, you know, DIY, but it can pull off magic I've never seen before, and it's incredibly good. You'll have this robot cardboard, um, you know, with the, the with like a box that's his head, and then he'll have like two pieces of cardboard as his arms, and there'll be a little piece of black fabric in front of him, right? And that's attached to his hands. So he lifts up his hands, the black sheet goes up, he puts down his hands, the black sheet goes down. He lifts up his hands again. All of a sudden, there's like an aluminum ball. He puts his hands back down to cover it up. <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, he has aluminum sunglasses on. Nice. Which his, you saw his hands the entire time. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, what? Yeah. So kid, he's very kid-friendly. Go check him out. Mario the Magician on uh, Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or, yeah. And he'll do like, you know, Zoom performances too so i most certainly will yeah that sounds delightful yeah oh and one of these days we'll, we should do a magician related picture book but literally none come to mind even if, as i say that so and i will i will get this bizarre wedding picture book i promise you, you. have like well you're gonna have like one week to do it so uh, the only one week before you get married you will be married i can always get it after your marriage i presume the, the marriage will last more than a week so i should oh. be able to have a little bit of time oh there's but oh it sounds like a 24 oh, hour thing or? oh i feel i feel embarrassed that, that I, was just like a weekend this thing. is like a bad time for for you to find this out Awkward. i need to go <laughs> uh and so in order to do so i will say i've been betsy okay bye fuse eight and kate is a fuse number eight production you can reach us at fuseK8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse number eight, Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM. Or follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kaim, and our incipient groom is Drew at Hienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Ramsey and Betsy Bird.